0: Good morning, Moose Jaw. It's exciting to be Good morning, Moose Jaw. It's exciting to be here with you today in your living room or wherever we are meeting you and and being with you. This week, I heard some uh, news that the Premier of Saskatchewan said they might propose a plan to uh, lift some of the current restrictions as soon as the COVID-19 numbers uh, get better. And uh, when I heard that, I thought, man, for some people, just the thought of Uh, being lifted out of self-isolation or quarantine would uh, just cause them to jump and do all sorts of crazy things. So I just want to add a little bit of caution there. Let's all wait. Let's all wait until uh, Sask Health Authority and the Premier are telling us what those changes are before we do anything. I'm so excited about the partnership that we've had as a community and as a province and how we've been working hard to uh, go towards the same goal. And uh, let's just keep going. Let's not jump the gun, but let's keep going. But I do want to talk to you today about coming out of quarantine or coming out of self-isolation. Now, some of my friends don't want to. They've experienced a brand new life that they're loving and they do not want to change. They just said, I wish this could be forever. And then other people can't wait to be out of self-isolation. They can't wait to be out of quarantine. And uh, so we've all had different experiences. Do you realize that quarantine is different with kids and without kids? I, I I, uh, my wife and I, we have four children, and so right now, quarantine means that uh, it means different things for us than for those of you who are just leisurely reading books and having uh, baths with candlelight and all those different things. Uh, we're, we're parenting nonstop, and uh, we're enjoying it, but there's lots of things that have come up. You know, the first thing when we're let out of self-isolation that I'm going to do is I'm going to run to a flooring store and get carpet eraser because we left the markers on too low of a shelf, and now we have brand new colors on our white carpet. And that's what I'm going to do the first thing when I get out of quarantine. I don't know what the first thing you'll do. But coming out of quarantine, that's what I want to talk to you about today. How you come out of quarantine is going to be determined by what you do in quarantine. This week, we've been reading in our reading plan as a church. We've been reading in the Bible about a time when the followers of Jesus had to wait for a significant life-changing event to happen before they could come out of a period of self-isolation, before they could go public as the church. And just like our situation, they didn't have any idea how long this time of self-isolation would last. And so they were waiting, just like we are, for an indeterminate amount of time. Now, lots of good can come out of quarantine. I don't know what you imagined it would be like when you went into self-isolation. You were going to work out, you are going to eat healthy, you are going to read books, so you'd come out smarter and stronger and healthier and all those things. And maybe that hasn't materialized. Maybe you just binge-watched a lot of shows. But it's okay. Out of quarantine can come new beginnings. If you imagine a butterfly coming out of a cocoon, That's a radical transformation. Do you know the early church went into their self-isolation time on the defensive? I mean, Jesus had died and he'd rose again. And Jesus had had, had been with them uh, throughout this 40 days after his resurrection. But it still was a pretty scary world. And now Jesus was saying something that truly would have been frightening for the disciples. He was saying that he was going to be leaving. In fact, we know from reading the Bible that the ascension of Jesus, Jesus going back to the Father, happened about 40 days after uh, Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection. And so, it's one thing to say, Jesus is alive, he's resurrected, he's with us, this is awesome. It's another thing to say, wait a second, Jesus is leaving? How are we going to manage? How are we going to cope? What's it going to be like? Now the neat thing about the story of the, of the early church coming out of this time, was they exploded out of their quarantine. They exploded out of their self-isolation. I mean, they went in on the defensive. What's it going to be like living this life without Jesus at our side? Well, they came out, uh, they maybe went in on the defensive, but they came out on the offensive. You could say they exploded out of quarantine, full of new life, new power, and new confidence. How did that happen? Well, here's the context. Again, 500 eyewitnesses around Jerusalem saw Jesus over the course of about 40 days. But around the 40-day mark, the ascension happens and he's left them and gone back to the Father. What will happen to his followers? Now, if you've been reading the reading plan that we've been reading in the story, uh, you would have read a lot of stuff uh, about all the things that were going to happen to the disciples. In fact, the future for the, the disciples was going to be crazy. Let me just mention a few of the things that happened in this last reading. The future for the disciples would be jam-packed with real threats, rapid change, adrenaline rushes, opposition, and opportunities for advancement. The Feast of Pentecost was going to be a real doozy this year, Peter's first sermon would take the church public. After that, there'd be threats from authorities. In response, there was a defiant commitment among Jesus' followers to keep speaking about Jesus no matter what it cost them, even if it cost them their own lives. Amazing miracles of healing would happen. Arrests would follow. Unexpected prison breaks orchestrated by angels would happen. There were rapidly growing numbers of followers, which meant they had to quickly deputize more servant leaders. One of those first servant leaders they deputized, named Stephen, would be the first to die, stoned to death. Saul, the the church's worst nightmare, starts breathing out death threats and begins imprisoning and killing the followers of Jesus. Then Peter has a surprising vision of unclean animals and that would lead him to take the story of Jesus to non-Jewish people called the Gentiles. Then Saul, on his way to arrest Christians, is blinded. He meets Jesus in a vision. He's then converted. He has his sight restored and his name is changed to Paul and after a while, it becomes apparent to everybody that he's switched teams. All of this is happening and at... Oh, I missed the fact that one of the two brothers Jesus called the Sons of Thunder, James, is arrested and killed. The persecution intensifies and many Christians are scattered from Jerusalem. Now, if you knew in advance that this kind of crazy season was coming for the Christians in your community, how would you prepare? I mean, would you cram in as many leadership books as you could? Listen to many leadership podcasts as you could so you could lead well? Or would you just plan to resist? You'd stockpile as many swords as you could so that you could fight back. Or would you just try to get away, escape to the hills, or join the Christian Witness Protection Program? What would you do? How could they possibly be ready to be thrust into this rapidly changing new environment? And the answer is, Jesus had a plan. Now, the first part of Jesus' plan or his preparation for them was, he gave them a promise. Let me read you that promise. Matthew 16 and verse 15 to 18. He says, What about you? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, And on this rock, here comes the promise. Ready for it? I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Jesus' mission of of reconciling people to God was going to have a people group to accomplish it. And they were called, for the very first time in the whole Bible, they were called the church. The church is not a building. The church is a people. And there are people made for, to accomplish Jesus' mission. And it seems really unlikely that they'd be able to succeed. What with Jesus going away? I mean, it's easy when you've got a great leader who can perform miracles and and is confident and, and knows what he's about and you can just follow in his footsteps. But when he disappears, how are they going to survive? How is Jesus promised that he'd He'd build his mission-accomplishing church, and and it would not be overcome. How is that going to happen? These followers of Jesus, called the church, Jesus said they'd be unstoppable. Well, it's good that they have this promise. Because all of hell, that's another synonym for Hades, all of hell was going to stand in opposition to the church. Do you know, it's the same for us today. We might only have a promise from God to hang on to. And, th- and, and we do. And it's amazing how that can get you through all sorts of situations. It's good that they had this promise from God. Now, I was in an Alpha Zoom class this week, or actually it was two weeks ago, with, uh, with Kurt, who was up here playing guitar. And Kurt told us something, because he knows a bit about sign language. And so he told us that the word for faith in sign language, has two actions. The first is to put your finger to the head, and and it means you think. So faith involves thinking, right? When you think, if Jesus makes a promise that the church is going to prevail and not be overcome, well, you got to think. Do I trust Jesus? Is it reasonable to think that I can trust him? The second part of the symbol is this one, to hang on to hang on. Faith is thinking and hanging on. So first, is it reasonable to trust Jesus? Well, he's been trustworthy all these years I followed him. I've been with him for three years. And he even was trustworthy in his prediction of his death and his resurrection. So, of course, I'm going to trust Jesus. But when it gets really tough, I'm going to need to hang on to that promise that he gave me, that the church would overcome. Now, I'm so glad that Kurt gave me that. I've been thinking about that symbol. Think and hang on, that's faith. I think it's wonderful. I really wish, though, he'd also tell me what the symbol is for speaking moistly. Because that one's been on my mind a lot lately. But anyhow, maybe next time we're on, on Alpha Zoom, I can, uh, I can find out that one from him as well. I'll let you know what it is. I know we're all waiting. So Jesus um, made a promise. And that was the first part of his preparation for the church. And so they said, can I trust Jesus? Yes, I can trust Jesus. I'm going to hang on to the fact that he said that this people group he's given his mission mission to would prevail. So Jesus promised the church would advance, and despite some pretty long odds and severe attempts to stamp it out, it seems to have done just that. This group has grown from 500 eyewitnesses who saw Jesus after the resurrection to today where 2 billion people claim to be Christians. His promise has been de- dependable for 2,000 years. Now, does this mean, because we have this promise from Jesus, that the church can't be stopped, does it mean that Christians will always be on the top of every life circumstances? Does it mean that Jesus' followers will always experience success or prosperity or have great health or advance or have accolades or promotions or have a high standing in the community? Does it mean that? Or let me make it more personal. Will life be easier for you if you are a follower of Jesus? This brings us to another part of Jesus' preparation or his plan for his disciples. He not only gave them a promise he gave them some perspective. And let's read about one of the times Jesus told his disciples what to expect. John 16:33 says this. I've told you these things and this is after Jesus did a lot of teaching with them. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So I want to grab two similar statements out of this. One is, in this world you will have trouble. And the other is, in me you may have peace. You put these together and you have the expectation of trouble, but that you can have peace within that trouble. So no, the Christian life is not a get out of trouble card. In fact, it may get you into more trouble. Depending on where you live and in what time you live. Being a Christian in the Roman Empire, when they were feeding them to the lions, meant more trouble. Being a Christian under the Soviet Union, when they were imprisoning them in the gulags, meant more trouble. Being a Christian in communist China today, and needing to meet in underground churches, means more trouble. Even today, in Canada though we have remarkable religious freedom in this country and I'm thankful for that even in some in Canada in some workplaces being a christian means more trouble in some locker rooms in some university classrooms in some social groups being a christian may mean more trouble but jesus never hid this from us he never hid this from his followers he never sugarcoated it he would say things like whoever wants to follow him must be willing to take up their cross. Now this was not some sort of thing that they thought, oh, take up my cross, I wonder what that means. They saw the brutality of the Roman cross, the death of those who were uh, deemed guilty by the empire. They saw it on display. When Jesus said take up their cross, they meant follow him to the death. In other time he said whoever wants to find their life, they must be willing to lose their life for Jesus' sake. So Jesus didn't sugarcoat uh, the possible troubles that would come. In fact, he promised that the the standard, the default, the thing that mostly happens when you follow Jesus is that you'll have trouble in the world because of following him. Listen to how Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, uh, described how Christians are to live with this, this difficulty of being in the world and facing trouble and suffering. 1 Peter 3, 9 to 18, it says in verse 9, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. And then down to verse 14, it says, But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats and do not be frightened, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Christians are called to be a people for others just like Jesus was. So that includes forgiving people who mistreat you, just like Jesus forgave us for our sins. That's a standard expectation for Christians. If people speak maliciously against you and your belief, you're to respond with gentleness and respect as you share why Jesus has brought hope into your life. People may curse you, they may may misrepresent you, and they may misunderstand you. But if you revere Jesus as Lord, then you want to imitate him. And he gave his life and suffered for other people's sins so that they could be in a relationship with God. You know, wearing, is, wearing a cross is a strange thing. It's a symbol of suffering and death. And you think that that wouldn't make good jewelry. And that wouldn't be something that we would pick as Christians to be our symbol. But I think it's appropriate because wearing a cross signifies that the Roman cross has been emptied of its power to dominate our lives. It could only, the Romans could only subjugate the human body, but they had lost its, their power to rule people on the inside. Christians who knew that in this world they would have trouble because Jesus told them that, they expected suffering. They anticipated death. And they knew that suffering and death could not take away the peace of God and the hope of eternity within them. And they knew that it couldn't stop the church. And so the Romans could crucify Christians all day long, but the church just kept growing. So the symbol of the church is not... is not a symbol of us overcoming other people, but giving ourselves even to death for other people, even for our enemies. So in this world you'll have trouble, but in me you may have peace. I find for me one of the things that really helps me to have peace in my life is linking my story to the story of God. God's got a big overarching story that he's unfolding all over history. He's showing through the Bible. The Bible's one big story. I mean, he's got lots of little stories in it, just like my little story or your little story. But one big overarching story that tells us the lengths that God would go to bring you and me back into relationship with him. And so, if I suffer, I can tell myself, you know what? I'm playing a small role in a bigger story. The biggest story in my life is not my story where I'm the central figure and I'm the hero. The biggest story in my life is, the sto- is, the, is a small role I play in God's much, much bigger story. And because he's given me eternal life with him forever, he has the right to use me however he wishes in this short window of a life here below. If that means trouble or suffering, I can embrace it because I don't believe you only live once. I believe that God has life for me after death, and in him I have peace. So Jesus prepared his people, the church, with a promise and with perspective and also with the time of preparation. This is where we get to the pseudo-quarantine. Now, it wasn't a quarantine because the disciples were infected. It was that Jesus actually told them to go into a time of self-isolation. Jesus had already taught his disciples that times of preparation on our own bring good results in our lives. Let me read you a few of those teachings that he gave them. Matthew 6, 6. He said, When you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So many feel that prayer isn't active enough, but it's an act of faith that God will reward do what you can't do. God will reward that act of prayer, that faith, that trust, that thinking, I can trust God and hanging on to who he is and hanging on to his promises. That's what prayer is. God can do in a moment, in a response to our prayer, what we couldn't couldn't do in a lifetime. And so your father who sees what's done in secret, he sees what's done in self-isolation, will reward you. And then John 15, 5 to 6, he said, I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. So do you want to bear much fruit? Well, you've got to abide. Now, what does that mean? It means stay in close relationship with Jesus. So we do that through reading the word and through times of prayer. Uh, That will lead to a life that's full of good character and action. That's what the fruit is. A change in who we are and how how we live. And it also leads to doing good action. The other option is we can wither. We can drift into selfish and unproductive living. And the difference maker is remaining in a relationship with God. Jesus had already taught his disciples these things. Let me add one more from the Old Testament. Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. This is God speaking. This crisis that we're in has taught us that we are not in control of our world. Our activity is being stilled. I mean, many of us are still working. Some of you are working twice as hard. But many people, their activity has been stilled. And that's helped us know that we are not God and that He is. That's great perspective. When we spend time with God, we can relinquish our controlling everything in our world and trust that He is in control, that He is sovereign. So... Jesus had already taught his disciples that a time of preparation was going to be good for them. Time with him was going to be good for them. But this time of preparation came with the anticipation of a very specific result. Acts 1, 4-5 tells us about that. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, wait for the gift. That's awesome. I mean, if you know you're waiting for a gift, but it's coming on your birthday, you know exactly how many days you're going to be waiting. But in this case, they did not know how long they would be waiting. They were just told to wait. Now, was this going to be weeks? Months? or years. People are asking that about the COVID-19 crisis. Is this going to be like a little blizzard of a couple weeks? Or maybe it's going to be more like a little winter of a couple months? Or some have even said, is it going to be like a little mini ice age of a couple years? We don't know. And the disciples were in the same kind of situation. Wait, how long? You don't know. You'll only know when it comes. You'll only know when the gift arrives. You'll only know then. You need to wait. So what did they do while they were waiting? Well, let me read to you from Acts 1, 12 to 14. It says, Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem. I'll skip down. It says, When they arrived, they went upstairs to a room where they were staying. So some people have said the the disciples only ended up waiting for 10 days. But, They were already staying in this place. They already had a room booked in Jerusalem. Most of the the disciples were not from Jerusalem. They were from Galilee. So they were from out of town staying in a room together. Now, I don't know what it's been like for you staying with the people you're sharing a room with or your house with, but this is a lot of people. In fact, it's quite a list. Peter, John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women, so there's quite a list of women as well who were involved, and Mary the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Wow. That's a lot of people to be self-isolated with. Now, I'm sure they went out and bought groceries, and I'm sure they went out and they could do that thing, but they spent their time... In prayer. They joined together constantly in prayer. Because they were waiting for the gift. Now why did they need this gift? Jesus gave them some more hints in Acts one eight. It says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So if you add those two scriptures together, Acts, the early part of Acts 1 and then Acts 1.8, wait until you receive power power. If they were going to be effective witnesses of Jesus' death for sin and his resurrection, they're going to need an internal source of power. So they were called to wait. And I just want to add this one as an interesting point. One of the things they did while they were waiting is they replaced Judas. Judas had hang, hung himself and was dead. And so now there was not 12 disciples but only 11. And so they had two possible candidates and they prayed about those two candidates and they asked the Lord to reveal to them which one they should choose. And the way they asked him to the reveal them was through the casting of lots. It would be similar to like rolling dice. Now I don't want you to miss this. This was a thing that they did in the Old Testament people would say, God, would you give us direction? And then they would cast lots. And they'd say, oh, it seems like this is saying this is the choice. So can you imagine? Here's, should this guy be one of the 12? Should, or should this guy be one of the 12? Well, if it's uh, uh, seven or up, we'll go with this guy. And if it's six or down, we'll go with this guy. And they roll the dice. They had more confidence in those days that God's response to their prayers could be discerned through the rolling of dice than they had confidence that God could speak to them themselves. Do you know this is the last time that the followers of Jesus used this decision making method in the Bible? Do you want to know why? Because the gift was coming, the Holy Spirit was coming. And that was going to change how they made decisions. It was going to change how they lived their lives. From then on, every time they needed to choose a leader, every time they needed to to get discernment about where to go or what to do, they would pray and then they would be silent. They'd be silent before God. They'd wait, sometimes fasting, going without food. And when, and God would make it clear to them what they were to do. This was because of the coming of the Holy Spirit. So I talked about Jesus' promise that they would overcome, Jesus' perspective that in this world they'd have trouble, but he would give them peace in the middle of that trouble. And then this preparation period, this quarantine, this self-isolating season, that in the end only lasted somewhere around 10 days. Because right at the Feast of Pentecost, which was 50 days after the Feast of the Passover, which is when Jesus died, 50 days later, uh, that was when the gift of the Holy Spirit came. Let me read Acts 2-4. It says, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, right away, this changed the game. Right away, it changed the game. Here they were on the defensive, but they burst out of the upper room into the streets. Now, because it was the feast of Pentecost, there were people from all over coming to Jerusalem, people from other countries who spoke other languages. Well, They burst into this great crowd of people and they began to talk about Jesus. And so, this is part of Peter's speech. He said, God has raised this Jesus to life. It's a longer uh, message than this, but this is a short snippet. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he's received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and he's poured out what you now see and hear. It was evident to everyone. That these people had been changed. You know what? Jesus didn't just say, We've been changed. Then he went on to speak to this massive crowd. In uh, 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 addition to that, in Acts 2 38 to 39, he said, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you. Repent means to change your thinking, right? To change your mind, to change your life, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off and for all whom the Lord God will call. This is what I want to share with you this week. If you're already a follower of Jesus, let me start with you. If you're already a follower of Jesus, are you using the self-isolating time? Are you using the time where you're quarantined for advancement. Are you abiding? Are you spending time? Are you being still and knowing that he is God? Or are you still trying to control your world? If you want to come out of this quarantine with an explosion of life and ready to tackle the new realities that that face you, I'm going to tell you, abiding with Jesus, spending time, receiving from him is what we need to do. Abide and be filled. That was the phrase that came to my mind earlier this week. Abide and be filled. Spend time with God and be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know that the early disciples, they were filled and then filled again. It seemed like God just couldn't stop blessing them with filling them up with the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to say that this promise is for you. That's what Peter said to people who weren't followers of Jesus. He said, this promise is for you. God wants to fill you with his life, with his spirit, with all that he is. He wants to, uh, he wants to change the game for you. God's, inten- God's intention is to bring you into a love relationship with him and then fill you with his spirit so that you're fully alive. I remember reading a, a quote by a, an old, um, old, old, uh, scholar years ago, Arrhenius, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but Arrhenius said that the glory of God is man fully alive. And I would add, in God. God loves it when people are fully alive. But you know what you're fully alive to do? To be in relationship with God. To be in a partnership with God. And God's calling each one of us into that. And even if you've never said yes to Jesus before in your life, you could do that today. And not only does he have forgiveness for your sin, direction for your life, but he also has the promise of the gift of the Holy Spirit to fill you up and make you fully alive as you were always meant to be. The gift of the Holy Spirit is for everyone. It's for you. I have a friend uh, named Todd, and he's a pastor, and he, he told me years ago, I don't know if he still does this, but he said that every time he'd get up to speak, he'd read the same uh, Piece of scripture. And I'm going to read it to you. It's out of Luke chapter 4, 18 to 21. And this is when Jesus went to the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth. He had a chance to get up and read uh, the scripture. And so they'd have a scroll and they'd scroll forward and, and read, and then they'd read the next part and the next part. And he went up to read the scroll, and he read this passage out of, it's it's referencing Isaiah, but I'm reading it out of the retelling of it in Luke chapter 4. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then after Jesus read it, he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. So after you read the scriptures, you would do a commentary, just like I do regularly. He would do a commentary. You'd sit down for the commentary, and this is what Jesus said when he sat down. Everybody in his hometown listening, what's he going to say? Their eyes were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Jesus took that Old Testament uh, writings of Isaiah and he brought them into today and said, that same Spirit is on me. And you know my friend Todd, he said, he had this habit of reading this every time before he would speak. And you know why? He says, I never want to forget what kind of stuff God sent Jesus to do. What was it? Proclaim good news to the poor, proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, setting the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He says, I never want to forget the things that Jesus came to do because they're the things that Jesus has equipped his people through the Holy Spirit to do. And since he's carrying on, and my friend Todd, since he was carrying on God's mission in the power of the Holy Spirit, he wanted to know the kind of stuff he was called to do. So I want to say, the Spirit of the Lord is meant to be on you. He has anointed you. He has called you. He He does have special tasks for you to do. And I think it would be amazing if in this time where we're self-isolated, where we're quarantining, that we just took some time to ask God, God, would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? You've got things for me to do, and you don't want me just sort of crawling out of quarantine. You want me leaping out of quarantine with energy, with enthusiasm, but with the power of the Holy Spirit in my life to accomplish these things. So what are you coming out of quarantine with? What are you going to come out of self-isolation with? Maybe you need to understand that God's love for you isn't dependent on your performance. That it's dependent on what Jesus has done for you. And that God loves you. Even when you fail. Even when you don't measure up to your own standard or to God's standard. That God still loves you. Maybe you need to learn that in quarantine. So that you're secure in his love. So that you have a peace in your heart. That his love is beaming at you 24-7 and it's never going to quit. Maybe that's what you need to get in quarantine. Maybe you need to hear God's voice of peace in your life. You've got turmoil all around you about job, about, about family, about the future. Maybe you need to hear God's voice about peace. He just wants to speak into your heart, peace, be still, and know that I am God. Maybe you need God's joy in your life. Maybe you're just saying, I'm, I'm trying to sort of just fill myself up with endless YouTube videos or things that I, you know, give me sort of a hit of dopamine. But really, what I need is a deep satisfaction. And you can find that in relationship with God. But maybe it's direction. I- I'd encourage you to seek direction from God during this time. It- there's a simple way to do it. Just ask a question in prayer. And then wait in silence. And you, after a while, if you do this as a regular habit, you'll start being able to sense better and better the nudges of God in your life. They might not be dramatically profound. You might go, oh yeah, I should do the laundry. Or it might be very significant about calling someone, about caring for someone, about initiating something. This is something you can learn while you're in quarantine. Learn to sense the direction of God in your life. Maybe it's a new boldness to share the hope that you have with others. You say, man, I have friends and I would love for them to have the peace I found, the joy I found, the hope I found. But I I struggle to put it into words. Then pray that God will fill you with his Holy Spirit and give you that boldness to share the hope that you have. Abide and be filled. That's my challenge to you today. Don't waste your self-isolation but allow God to fill it with his Spirit. I want to just pray for you as you end today. And, and you can just, if this prayer resonates, if, if you can just echo it in your own heart. You don't have to say it out loud if you're with people, or you could. It's okay. But I want to just pray a prayer with you today, asking that the Holy Spirit would come and fill your life. Would you pray with me? Father, for, thank you for sending Jesus. And Jesus, thank you uh, for, saying, for saying that we will not be alone, but you're going to send another one who would bring great comfort into our lives, who would bring great counsel into our lives, who would bring direction into our lives, who would bring conviction of sin in our lives, who would, who would help us with every aspect of our lives. The Holy Spirit. And so we just ask that this gift that you've given to the church, the filling of the Holy Spirit, that we could receive that gift today. I ask for those who are out there, wherever they are in their living rooms or wherever they are today, that they'd receive the filling of the Holy Spirit right where they are. That they'd just be open up and receptive. They'd be like a, a flower before the sun, petals wide open, just saying, I want to receive what you have for me, God, in this area. And so, Lord, I pray you'd fill them with you. Fill them to the brim. And Lord, I pray that they would be able to say with Jesus, with my friend Todd, with all of us, the spirit of the Lord is upon me and he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor and all the other things that you describe in there, all the other incredible actions that you've called us to. Lord, prepare us to explode out of self-isolation. But prepare us now as we abide with you. We ask that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. Hey, we're so glad you joined us today. We hope you stay connected with us online on our website, Facebook, and YouTube throughout the week. If you want prayer right now, we have prayer teams standing by ready to pray with you. Call in or send us an email. If you're new, check out our website to learn more about us, but also go to hillcrestmj.com slash connect card and fill out that card. We'd love to get to know you. Most importantly, if you decided to become a follower of Jesus today, firstly, we are so excited for you, but secondly, would you tell someone? Whether that be someone close to you, someone at the church, or even call into our prayer teams right now. This is the most important decision you'll make in your lifetime, and we want to celebrate with you and help you navigate those next steps. Again, thanks for joining us, stay connected with us online, and we'll see you next week.